Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm Brandon David. Really interesting, science-deep, science-dense episode today. We have Chris, the CEO of Lexaria, which is a Canadian publicly traded company with a fascinating technology that is going to revolutionize cannabis and nicotine and the way we absorb substances. Uh, they have sped up the amount of time that an edible can hit you. They've made it taste better. They've made it last less uh, amount of time, which is a big concern when people take edibles. Really great stuff. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Chris, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm really, really happy to be. Yeah, this is a conversation I'm looking forward to having. Certainly one of the more known uh, public companies in Canada uh, with some very, very interesting technology. Uh, but let's just get started on an easy one. Uh, tell me what Lexaria is. Lexaria Bioscience um, has been developed to uh, bring to market uh, technologies that help to deliver active pharmaceutical ingredients, API. So cannabinoids, NSAIDs like ibuprofen or aspirin, even nicotine or vitamin. To our technology, they're all really the same thing. The technology works the same way and the benefits for the average consumer, things smell better, taste better, act faster, and you can use less to get the same effect. So it's a, it's a, not a not a complicated technology but the benefits are very simple and clear wow um so it makes things taste better smell better and you need to consume less of it that sounds too good to be true <laughs> that, <laughs> that that's amazing um so it's this idea of the bioabsorption right that that's sort of the underlying uh, uh technology that we're talking about here yeah it is and you know even for us because the cannabis industry, for example, is, as we all know, right, it's evolving so fast. And we've had to evolve along with it. So when we started to introduce the technology about three years ago, we were mostly talking about bioabsorption and not very many people in the industry were, and some of them were kind of giving us some dirty looks. Uh, and since then, we've, we've included very much the taste masking and the, and the rapidity of onset. You know, there's, it's interesting, there is a new brand I just learned of this this week, a new brand of ibuprofen uh, that just finished a clinical trial in the United Kingdom. And they use a similar technology to ours. It's a lipophilic-based technology. And even in their published clinical study reports, they talk about the assistance that a lipophilic technology, which is what ours is based on as well, offers to deliver uh, an API uh, into the circulatory system, basically by bypassing the liver. So one thing that I that I I'd like to say, although our our tech is it has some pretty profound implications, it really does. Um, it's based on scientific knowledge that's 25 years old, which is to say certain types of fatty acids. Fatty acids are a component of fat. Uh, like oleic acid, which you find in sunflower oil or olive oil. And people know, you, you've heard in the press, that olive oil is a better fat than, say, a heavy, like lard or an animal fat. Um, and part of that is because of the way the oil is built. Well, 
medical science has known for a generation that long-chain fatty acids have a preferential pathway of absorption in the human body. And it involves basically dumping into the lymphatic system once you cross the intestinal wall instead of dumping into the liver for liver metabolism and filtration. That has been known a long time. Our technology is really simple because it just takes advantage of that. And we kind of, kind of, if you want to say it this way, we kind of glue the drug or the API to that and it gets taken along for the Wow. Yeah, no, that, that is fascinating. So in a real world application to a layman consumer, um, how is it going to affect my edibles? You know, how are my edibles going to be different? If I get that brownie now, uh, what, what's going to be different about it? You mean for cannabis in particular? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, uh, really big difference. And in fact, for some long-term edible users, they will say to you, nah, you know what? I'd rather have the traditional. I, I prefer it. Here's the big difference. When people smoke, you obviously get aerosol THC from the, from the joint absorbed into your lungs and directly into the bloodstream. That's why it happens so fast. And the psychoactive effect is given to you from the THC Delta 9 that is in the combusted joint. When you eat cannabis, something very different happens. Cannabis, as I said earlier, just like everything else you eat, traditionally is going to go into the stomach, then the liver, across the intestinal wall, uh, excuse me, in, into, the, into the intestine, across the intestinal wall, and then into the liver for processing before it hits the bloodstream. That's why it takes generally at 60 or 90 minutes, the time you eat that brownie to the time you start to feel it. But something else that people don't talk about, and I don't know why, I guess it's just not a dinner conversation topic, <laughs> the, the liver transformed the delta 9. And so the metabolite that exits the liver is known as THC delta 11 hydroxy. The delta 11 hydroxy, by definition, is different than the delta 9. And that is what is responsible for giving you the so-called body stone as opposed mm. to the headstone. So our technology, because we deliver most of the Delta-9 through the lymphatic circulatory system, which bypasses the liver, the effect you get from an edible with our technology is much more similar to what you get when you smoke, as opposed mm. to what you when you eat. The other big wow. difference is that it happens much more quickly because we don't have to go through the liver. We're not waiting for the liver factory to produce its, its end product. So, for example, one of our uh, corporate licensees is in Colorado uh, that makes uh, chocolate, and people, and they've been on the market for a year and a half. People who use that product routinely say that they feel the effects you, almost always in less than 30 minutes often in around 20 minutes we've had some measure you know everybody's different we've had some people experience it in as little as five or six minutes but mm. 20 to 25 minutes is normal so it acts faster um, because we mask the flavors of the terpenes and the terpenoids you also do not need to add any extra sugar mm. so edibles that use our dehydrotech technology 
can be made with lower quantities of sugar, i.e. they can be healthier than your traditional, you know, candies and chocolates and gummy bears and things that are really low yep. sugar. Wow, yeah, nice added benefit there. So if I understand correctly, I could eat unedible uh, and in 20 minutes have a similar uh, psychoactive effect as if I had smoked cannabis. Exactly. And, you know, there's, there simply isn't any way, and it'll never happen so far as, I guess, never seen. But we don't expect it'll ever happen that edibles will be as fast as smoking is immediate, you're in the bloodstream, boom. Uh, it takes seconds. Edibles, no matter what, you have to swallow it, you have to get across it. Now, in our beverage-based edibles, because you're still, still an edible, so coffee hmm. or beer or what have you, no matter what you do, you're going to get some mucosal membrane absorption. That's the surfaces of the skin uh, underneath your tongue, the back of the throat, etc., because beverages kind of squash around. Mucosal membrane absorption is also not as fast as the lungs, but it's faster than the stomach. So when our tech is put into a beverage, so for example, I think people know that we own Vipova tea brand, um, and we use the technology within it. A lot of people um, report, even with the cannabidiol that's in Vipova tea, that they feel maybe a flushing of their cheeks in five or ten minutes. Uh, I personally mm. feel that. I drink that tea all the time, and that's the cannabidiol already having that early absorption um, through the fine capillaries of your of your cheek and face area, mm. which is obviously in physical proximity to your to your mouth, um, and that is a known effect of cannabidiol. It's a vasodilator, so you typically get greater blood flow uh, from it. So yeah, it, it's it's a wonderful technology. There's really no downside to it that we've ever been able to detect. But this is really the key to the cannabis beverage market. Correct me if I'm wrong, because the biggest problem is the onset time. Uh, think if you're going to get together with friends and have a beer or have a cocktail, it's going to hit you in 20 or 30 minutes. You don't want to wait around uh, 90 minutes or two hours for your cannabis beverage to hit you. Um, is there others that have this? I mean, I know that you have patents pending and you have some patents issued, but this seems like a, a huge key moment. It's a big deal. Um, we've been saying that for a while. This, this is a big deal. Uh, uh, to respond to it, I, I kind of have to go all over the place. So, for example, earlier this week I was on a conference call um, with a company I can't really name, but it's a, an international company. And one of the people from their team that was on the call is actually their head of internal psychology. And for their company outside of the cannabis they recognize that the products used in their industry are used because of the flavor the taste the physiological benefits and so on but they're also used as you say because of behavioral or psychological need and whenever you talk about alcohol whenever you talk about cannabis and whenever you talk about say nicotine those three product categories there's a social aspect to every one of them. So, you know, sure, any of us might have a drink by ourselves, or you might smoke a joint by yourself, but really, the good times, the, the stuff that you really remember and want to share, by definition, are with 
friends or, it's or social. hanging out. Yeah, yeah it's, it's social. social. Yeah. So we've been talking about this for a couple of years. And the idea that you can, sure, we, we take our technology, we put it into a capsule or a pill, and you can swallow the pill. That's not social. What are you going to do? You're going to sit there and, what, stare at the wall? Yeah, I, no, that's you know. medicine. That's medicine. That's right. right. So yeah. with beverages, it is a an accepted part of a social gathering. You're going to sit around, you're going to have a drink, whatever. So the idea, though, that you then have to wait an hour and a half, quite frankly, it, it sucks. Um, and it's one of the things even the regulators are trying to wrap their minds around because they do not like the idea that you might overconsume while you're waiting. Frustration for mm. something to happen. And there's another aspect of the, uh, and I don't want to go too clinical, but when cannabis when THC enters the liver takes 60 or 90 minutes to get processed it also lingers for hours and hours and hours which is why you often hear the remark oh I couldn't get off the couch for eight hours Mm -hmm. Um, when you bypass the liver it is believed that the THC also exits your system much more quickly so much more like alcohol Uh if yeah, you can add a little bit of THC to a beverage, consume it socially, have it act more quickly, and have it fade away more. So cool. Um, I want to go back to the different types of highs. Uh, I really dislike the way edibles make me feel. Uh, certainly at a low dose, it's fine, but any any significant dose, and it's like you said, you have that couch lock sort of lethargic feeling. What did you find were the components of the quote-unquote smoking high, um, and how do you mimic that? You know, what what are the components that make up that kind of high? So far as I know, and in a sense, I almost wish I had my president, John Doherty, on the call to answer that because he's our toxicologist, pharmacologist, hmm. just a brilliant. But so far as the, the best that I can say is that it's the preservation of the form of THC native in the plant, which is the THC Delta 9. So the fact that we are able to preserve that metabolite of THC in an edible, instead of having it transformed into the Delta 11 hydroxy, the way the liver would do, uh, that is the key to preserving the same experience, social mm-hmm. and psychoactive experience. So, and that is actually really an interesting question in a competitive sense, too, because I hear this all the time. I'll bet you it's on your list of questions. Uh, nanotechnology, mm-hmm. right? You hear it all the time. People, oh, we have nano, nanotech water, nano this, nano that. Well, FYI, nano means small. <laughs> There's a difference between the physical description of small and nanotechnology. Nano size is not nanotechnology. Hmm. Nanotechnology is the construction of a physical molecule that usually is of several layers using layers of fat and other chemicals that allow for a different delivery modality. Nano size, completely different. It's just small. You can take Oh, you could go into your pen. You could take flour, cornstarch, and, and, and rub them in your fingers and see the size of them. If you put those in water and then you take a high-speed, high-shear mixing mixer 
like a Dremel drill, if you will, that turns mm-hmm. at 25 to 35,000 RPM, and you mix that solution, you will reduce the particle size of the flour or the cornstarch to something approaching nano. Well, okay, so you've made it small. That means you have a greater surface area to the volume of the material. Small does tend to get across the intestinal wall better. That's really good, and so that leads to higher absorption. But it does not direct it into the lymphatic system. Nanotech and nanosci still goes into the liver almost always. So you still have the transformation, as to your question, you still have your transformation into delta-11 hydroxy, still takes an hour, and it still tastes the way cannabis tastes. You still don't have mm. the flavor mask. So John, um, in our company, built his career in, in biopharma making nanostructured uh, cancer drugs. So we understand that tech very well. There's nothing wrong with it. It does what it's supposed to do, which leads to higher absorption, but it doesn't address these other Hmm. So nano is not good enough. That's that's what that's what I heard there. There's yeah, nano is a step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, fascinating technology. Thank you for sharing that with us. How do you guys make money? Well, I guess that's what it comes down to, right? So in the early days, when we were first experimenting with it, um, we started we started uh, making tea. We made the Vipova tea line. And we launched that, and we quickly learned that we really don't know that much about consumer products um, because that's not really what we're good at. Um, since then, we've, uh, and quite some time ago, say 18 months ago, we really evolved the business model to a licensing, royalty license. So we currently have one um, a chocolate company in, in uh, Colorado that's making cannabis chocolates using our tech. We just signed seasoning spice company in California to a five-year term uh, deal. We just signed a chocolate company in Canada in preparation for the new edibles markets expected next year. That's a seven-year deal. And we have, oh gosh, we probably have close to 20 um, LOIs or negotiation circulation. Mm. So we're making money by basically teaching licensed companies how to use our technology how to implement it into their product brands rather than us being so arrogant and saying, oh, we know everything about soda pop, we know everything about beer, we know everything about chocolate, and so on. We're saying, no, let's partner with the companies that actually have proven that mm-hmm. they know about these consumer product sectors and we'll help them to create best-of-breed uh, products. Uh, so it's a, it's a licensing and royalty uh, model. Uh, investors like that model because it's considered to be among the highest quality revenue models in existence. It's very similar to software. Mm-hmm. Once it's written, you push the copy button. And, uh, and yeah, highly it. scalable, highly repeatable. Yeah. Um, was it important to gain the knowledge from trying to produce your own consumer products first? What did you guys learn from that? Oh, God, thank you. <laughs> well, you know... We stumbled on consumer products, and we know that, um, but we learned so much. And it also has become, um, in many cases, our most effective sales tool. So you can imagine if I go call on the CEO of a, of a chocolate company or a soda pop company and we talk about putting cannabis into it or they have their own brand, 
and so on and so forth. And I, t- I tell him, oh, yeah, well, trust me, you know what? We make it taste better. We make it act more quickly. Well, nothing, nothing proves it better than to sit down and brew up a cup of tea yeah. and experience it. And you go, oh, wow, I didn't even add any sugar. I didn't add any milk to my tea, and I cannot taste the cannabis at all. And, you know, 20, 25 minutes after you start to drink it or 20 minutes later, you start to feel the effects and you go, oh, it really does work out. Mm. So we really have experimented a lot. We now have a, a, a nice little lab in Phoenix, Arizona, where John uh, works, you know, one, one or two weeks a month and, um, and heads up our R&D. And so we're always formulating additional products. And then as we've been asked by corporate customers or corporate potential customers, you know, we might get a call and say, well, can you do this with beer? Hmm. We'll say, don't know. Let's try it. So we try it. Or can you do it with wine? Can you do it with water? You know, so on. So the formulation experience for us has allowed us to, you know, act as though we were a company that was 20 times bigger than because we get the benefit of leading products, manufacturers, recipes, and knowledge, and we're able to work with them. So we've had experience now with, gosh, protein bars, gummies, chocolates, candies, hard candies, powders, beer, wine. Uh, believe it or not, we can do a white wine where you cannot see the cannabis oil and you can't taste it. Mm. Wow. Something as delicate as a white wine you can do that with. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Take me through kind of the the structure of that licensing a little bit. I know you said royalties. Are we talking about like a dollar on every one sold? I feel kind of like Kevin O'Leary right now talking about royalties. <laughs> but 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 uh, yeah. yeah, how are those structured? So there's two um, families of, of of fees, if you will. So one of the things that we've made a decision on is that we are never going to offer this technology. To everybody we want our partners to realize both greater market share and greater value through a scarcity of licenses so generally speaking we offer five semi-exclusive license uh, licenses for product category per geography so for the state of California if you're in the beverage industry <clears throat> we typically would offer only five licenses for the state of California, hmm. not six, not 10. So you're going to pay a fee for that semi-exclusivity within that territory. And it's obviously a negotiated fee that we work in contract. Um, and you're going to pay a, some kind of per use fee, hmm. uh, depending on the state, like in Colorado, for example, it's not impossible anymore, but it can be difficult to do a per unit fee. Um, uh, so you often have to do a negotiated actual fee in other states you are allowed so it'll be either percentage based or a per unit fee uh, but here's something really interesting too because of the powerful um, flavor masking benefits of the tech uh, you I'm sure are fully aware of the difference between the you know almost roofing tar paste like uh, co2 extracted oils yep. at room temperature they're very thick sticky uh, black kind of and the more highly refined distilled, horrible mm-hmm. thin oils. Um, the, the black tarry stuff um, is more of a full spectrum, has a little bit of everything still in it, mm-hmm. and it costs less. 
costs less to produce, costs less to purchase. Because of our flavor masking tax, um, most of our licensees are able to utilize that lower cost input rather mm. than the higher cost, more refined oil. Therefore, even though we're charging them a per use fee, in many cases, they are able to realize all of that and sometimes more cost savings uh, by using lower cost manufacturing. So in that situation, um, that grade of concentrate generally has a lower amount of THC in it than mm-hmm. the distillate, which is further refined. Uh, using your technology, is that 60 or 70% of that vape pen now more effective uh, as a result? Yeah, so the way I would answer that would be like, I would say milligram for milligram, THC or CBD with our tax will be more highly absorbed into your bloodstream with our tech. Hmm. So if you absorb, if you, if you ingest the same, say 10 milligrams of THC with our tech and 10 milligrams without our tech, you are likely to have a higher blood concentration of THC with our tech than with the other. So it does hmm. open up the option to you as the consumer to, let's just make it simple, to consume only five milligrams, say, mm. and perhaps have the same experience as though you were consuming 10 milligrams. Got it. Well, people have to be clamoring for that because the, uh, the economic results of buying something that's more effective and less costly to produce, uh, obviously that makes a lot of sense when you talk about the the dollars and cents, pun intended, I guess. But that's <laughs> but you guys know that, and that's why you're crushing yeah. it out there. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're just starting to. I mean, really, I have to tell you, like, our most recent patent was awarded in December um, of last year, so it's only four months ago. Okay. And that was, we had an earlier patent awarded for non-psychoactive cannabinoids, but the December patent just blew the roof off of our building because it was awarded for psychoactive cannabinoids, for vitamins, for NSAIDs, and for nicotine. Mm. And once we had formal ownership through the patent of that tech and that IP, the phone has started to ring like crazy. Wow. Um, So we're starting to crush it. And then I think it was just last week or the week before that we announced another notice of allowance. We have a really big, fat intellectual property portfolio not just in America, but in the world. Yeah, so without getting too much into the the weeds here, um, take me through that process just a little bit. I mean, it sounds so daunting to get a patent issue, especially for something as technical as this. Uh, Is that something that you had a lot of background in? You know, how how did you figure out how to do this, I guess? Uh, I personally did not, and so I had to rely a lot on our president, John Doherty, who did have a deep... Um, background in in patent pursuit and then we were really really fortunate about five years ago to get a reference to one of one of I think is one of the premier patent attorneys in America uh, Dr. Ergenzinger out of uh, North Carolina Um, and just to to give you an idea I mean this guy is a brilliant patent attorney he also has a PhD in neuroscience so you're talking about an individual who really really understands processes Mm. So the, the patent thing works like this. Uh, you make a 
patent application. And the application could be denied or it could be accepted. If it's accepted, you then have what's called patent pending. Um, it's the first stage. If which everybody not, likes to brag about. Which everybody likes pending. to brag about. But it yeah. is, you know, it's an achievement. I mean, lots of, lots of applications are rejected. You know, you can't, you can't apply for a perpetual motion machine. It isn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's going to be rejected. So patent pending is the first step. Uh, but it hasn't really been evaluated very deeply at that point. Mm -hmm. Then 12, 18, 36 months later, somewhere in there, you're going to go through the what they call the active investigation phase. Now you've got a, a patent examiner, and he or she is, is going through it, researching it, and, and working with your patent. Um, most patent applications fail at that level, just the reality. One of the big hurdles there is what's called known art, or what is the intellectual property standing related to your claim at this moment in time? So even if you have something that's pretty interesting and, and exciting, but somebody else has filed basically a similar or identical uh, ideas to yours and they beat you by six weeks, you will be disallowed mm. because they beat you. Everything is timestamped. Um, then if you get past that process in the United States, you get what's called a patent allowance, which is pretty much irreversible. Uh, the only way you're going to blow it <laughs> at that point is if you fail to uh, pay your fees and and, and, and submit some final paperwork. Uh, and then generally within about 100 days of the patent allowance, you will be patent granted. And that's it. You've got your patent. It works in a similar fashion around the world, but one of the big differences is there's something called the PCT, the Patent Cooperation Treaty. That's an international organization. There's, oh, 70 or 80, I think, countries around the world that are signatories to that agreement. Most of the big countries you would imagine and when you make a patent application in the United States you can then kind of make a dinner reservation with the PCT it's very similar to a dinner reservation so you're reserving a space mm. to make an application internationally it's not making an application it's reserving a space to make an application mm. if you decide to file under PCT you now need to file individually in each of the countries that you are interested in. So if you're interested in China, you need to make the national application in China. The PCT dinner reservation analogy comes into play because if you filed under PCT, the good news is when you make that application in China, maybe it's a year later, you get to use the date that you made your dinner reservation, PCT re reservation. And because this is all based on first up, first serve, that date's really important. Um, mm. So mm. for Lexaria, the bulk of our patent families, we have seven patent families now. We have over 30 patents pending in seven patent families. Most of our patent families are backdated to 2014 and 2015. So I've had people say to me, gee, Chris, you know, are you taking a risk talking about this so openly? I'm like, well, sure. You, 
somebody could be listening to this show and, and say, oh, well, what a great idea. I'm going to make my own patent application. It doesn't matter. We were there in 2014. So right. anybody who, who makes an application similar to ours, it, you, you know, it's too late. So that's kind of how it works. It's a long, involved process. We have patent applications right now in uh, over 40 countries around wow. the world, um, 33 pending, two granted in the United States, one allowed, one granted in Australia. And as you remember, I mentioned earlier that active investigation phase. We are in the active investigation phase right now in Australia, Canada, China, Japan, and the European Union. So we've got a lot wow. going on. It's a big undertaking. We spend six figures a year on patent pursuit. Wow. Very, very exciting times. Um, it must require a team. How, how big is the team now? <laughs> We're so small. We're really overworked. Um, there are, let's see, I think eight of us that are full-time in the company. Wow. And then we work with a lot of consultants who are almost full-time in some regards, including our patent attorney, Dr. Ergenzinger. Um, uh, for example, we just did a skin study uh, a couple of months ago for transdermal application of the tech, and we utilized the lab in California where they had a half a dozen people on it. Mm -hmm. um, we just... We're working through a nicotine absorption study right now in a, in a rodent model. They have between a half a dozen and a dozen. So, uh, and we're entering a, a clinical trial in Europe uh, in, in a couple of weeks. And uh, they will have a half a dozen people. So, you know, we have six to ten people in the company. And at any given moment, we probably have five to 20 people outside the company working on things on our Still not huge, though. Um, like you said, you guys are working hard to have all those things in motion at the same time. Uh, I want to talk about your background a little bit. You have one of the more interesting paths to becoming the CEO uh, of a company. Uh, you were an angel investor for some time and then wrote Lexaria a pretty good-sized check. And I understand you're now the biggest shareholder. Uh, what's it like to be both the CEO and the biggest shareholder of a company at the same time? Wow. <laughs> it's, um, it's frustrating. Um, it's often frustrating because I have to, you know, ethically and legally, I am required to set aside Chris Funka's interest on behalf of the company. And I do take it really seriously. Everybody in the company feels the same way. Now, I know not everybody out there is the same. I, I, you know, some people say, well, geez, don't be an idiot. Get out there and make some money and do these things. Well, yeah, easier said than done. There's a lot of rules. And if you follow the ethics rules, if you follow the securities rules, we, of course, trade both in Canada and the United States. And the rules sometimes overlap go in different directions. Uh, what it really means is I have very few personal opportunities to take advantage of my, uh, my stakeholding. Hmm. Uh, I, I do remain the largest shareholder. And to this day, even after our stock's been on a roller coaster and we've been worth over $100 million at times, I still haven't sold a share. Wow. Uh, if I had been a separate angel investor, absolutely, I would have been uh, trading sure. a portion of my position in and out, but I, I, I really can't. Um, but mm. 
at the same time, if I was an angel investor or an outside investor in Lixaria, I would not know what I know. <laughs> and I do know who's phoning us. Uh, I do know that two years ago when I would place an outgoing phone call, half the cannabis companies out there wouldn't even take my calls. They were not interested in the product. I know now that Fortune 500 companies call us. Hmm. That's really cool. Um, and so, yeah. you know, the, the, oh, the output, the, the end game for Lexaria has dramatically altered. And this is not about a stock play. Anymore. This is about a long-term, you know, two to five year holding where we have the ability, no kidding, to turn this into a multi-billion dollar company that has great application to nicotine or pharma, uh, each of which are far bigger markets than cannabis. So the companies evolve, and really the size of the prize has increased dramatically in the last 12 years. Mm. Mm. Um, and how about you? How has it changed for you? What do you spend your time doing on a day-to-day -day basis? You know, what's your priority list look like? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, on the personal side, it's, um, it, it's taxing. Um, I'm kind of a 60 to 70 hour a week guy, 50 weeks of the year. Usually, um, mm -hmm. I had had success earlier in my career, 10 and 15 years ago as an angel investor. So I don't do it for the money. Mm -hmm. Um, actually Lexaria costs me a lot of opportunity sure. uh, because I can no longer manage, uh, an angel portfolio. So I'm, I'm full time. My day is. Um, I, pro I, I can't even, most of the time I cannot pick up the phone anymore. My day is structured. I have basically hourly conference calls for anywhere between four and seven hours a day, uh, regulatory, um, uh, strategy meetings with investment bankers, um, product development on the science side. So, uh, it's a combination of anything, of everything. It, it's really exciting. I mean, it's a fun job. Yeah. Because yeah. I do so much uh, and a lot of travel. I'm leaving on Sunday for a two-week trip to Europe. Um, mm. uh, related, all related to, to Lexaria. So it's, it's a very diverse day. It's busy. It's demanding. Um, I don't think there's any ability left in the industry to do it part-time. It's got to be you're mm. either full-on or you're, or you're dead. Is that the best advice for, for aspiring founders? There's a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this show, <laughs> as I like to say. Um, you can't have another job, right? It doesn't work. No. Not now. Uh, I'm sorry yeah. to disappoint people if that's the case, but uh, maybe two years ago you could have. But if you're going to succeed now, uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, it is so, so much more competitive. We get called. Put this in perspective. We get calls from startups now in various states and they are levering or attempting to lever our technology with our knowledge and assistance with their financial backers. So in some cases, you, if you are in the cannabis industry and you've been in the cannabis industry for five or 10 years and you kind of do it in your garage or your kitchen, and you, you know, things are going okay. You need to know there are startups coming in from outside that have five and ten million dollars worth of backing mm. and either our tech or somebody else's tech 
as a leg up and they're coming in to crush it. And guess what? And we've been saying this, I've been saying this on stages for over two years. It is the implementation and production of the regulation on a state-by-state -state basis that is actually, although it legalizes and formalizes the industry, it also makes the industry approachable to new people and new money. So the level of competition is going up dramatically. And it's yep. compete or die. It's just, that's free enterprise system, right? Yeah, no, I've certainly seen that even just in the three years of doing this show, the quality of the guest and the quality of the founder has just skyrocketed. Um, so that's been a nice benefit uh, as, as the host of this show, for sure. Um, you see, we're talking about your angel investing a little bit. Uh, I know that you can't make any angel investments today, but if you could, um, what would you be investing in? Uh, inside of cannabis, outside of cannabis, you know, what what looks really interesting to you? You know, um Boy, that, it, that's a hard question, and it's a hard question because, because I've 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 been, sorry, go ahead. You know, in the cannabis industry, um, I am generally not that enthusiastic about most of what I would call the upstream or the growing industry. Our technology is an example of how downstream players, consumer products players, can use less cannabis input to achieve a similar, similar experience, which could be an indication that there's an overcapacity on the growing side. I am not so arrogant as to think that our technology will be the only one that has that sort of application. So mm -hmm. as the years go by, I think there will be additional uh, technologies that arise that are going to kind of extend the potency, if you will, of a milligram of THC. So the growing side, generally speaking, I'm not a big fan. There's exceptions to every rule. I'll tell you, there's a company that I know of in Canada, a public company. Uh, as of today, I do not own anything. I'm going to just make my declaration. I've actually been looking at them myself. And it's called Abcan, um, and they're a grower, um, but they're also looking at a number of technologies and downstream brands. Mm -hmm. With this recent sell-off that most of the cannabis industry public companies have, have experienced, including us, uh, their share prices come from you know three and four dollars a share back down. Well, they've they've lost half. They're down around a buck and mm -hmm. a half. But yep. what's of interest to me, they have, by my reckoning around 65 cents a share in cash. They have about $130 million on their balance sheet in cash. Mm. So really the entire business is only being valued at, you know, 70 or 80 cents a share. And I think that's really too cheap for who they are and what they're doing. And their, their CEO is a guy by the name of Barry Fishman. Uh, Mr. Fishman is the former, I think he's this was the former CEO or president at least of Tiva Pharmaceuticals. And Tiva, I mm. believe, is still the largest generic drug manufacturer on earth. Mm. So mm. these guys have a really amazing pedigree. So there are opportunities. So undervalued out there that, and a great yeah. team. 
undervalued and a great, and, team. And a great team. Yeah. It sounds, sounds like a winner. Um, yeah. Last question. I'll get you out of here. What kind of role does cannabis play in your personal life? You know, do you like to consume it at night? How do you like to consume it? Take me through uh, just how you view it personally. A really, really interesting question. So turn on and turn off at the same time. I was brought up in one of those families where mom <laughs> told me if I use cannabis, you know, my ears are going to fall off um, and only bad and, and only bad people, right? Like morally deficient people would use cannabis. So I never did. I never used it all through my, my young years. I never did. Um, mm. I was afraid of it. And so some guys will say, well, what the hell are you doing running a cannabis company? Well, it's interesting. I come to the place that I'm at today with our company and being so enthusiastic about the industry because of the transformation, because I overcame um, what I saw as objections to using it. Um, I was in Denver a couple of weeks ago uh, working with our chocolate company down there, and I actually consumed one of their products, and I absolutely loved it. Mm. It was sublime and pleasant, enjoyable. More importantly for me, on an everyday basis now for about three years or maybe, yeah, about three years, I've been taking cannabidiol. Um, I personally have a number of disease conditions that are just, you know, pain in the butt and uh, life goes on. You have to deal with, with the cards you've got. Um, interestingly, although although there's the subjective. So anecdotal stuff is interesting, but it's still just anecdotal, and everybody has stories. Um, I, can, I can give you a bunch of anecdotal stories about myself, but non-subjective <laughs> is also interesting because I have these pre-existing disease conditions. I, for a number of years, get blood work done uh, to evaluate certain things that, that my doctors are watching. And... In one particular instance last year, after I started taking our Turbo CBD, which is just a, a CBD, ginseng, and ginkgo blend in a capsule, mm -hmm. obviously utilizing our tech, so hopefully more powerful. Um, about six months after I started taking that, my blood work for this other disease condition reversed. Mm. And wow. what makes that a really fascinating statement is, and I don't want to mention the disease condition, so I'm not trying to make claims or anything, yep. but I'm just saying this is my story. Uh, for that particular condition, it is an irreversible, non-treatable disease. Mm. So once you lose uh, efficiency, you cannot get it back. There's no drug known that can get it back. And yet, my numbers reversed, and my doctors were looking at me saying, what the hell are you doing? Wow. And the only thing I was doing that was new was I was taking uh, cannabidiol. So um, I take cannabidiol daily for, um, I suffer from migraine headaches as well. Uh, they deal with migraines. I take it to help me sleep. I take it, I think it makes me a better CEO. Um, I mm. think the additional blood flow through the vasodilation effect uh, and the nitric oxide production from, that's a result of cannabidiol. Uh, I'll go so far as to say, and I hope Donald Trump is listening, I'll go so far as to say that it is now my belief that every person in America should have cannabidiol in their diet on a daily basis. 
just like wow. you, you need could, to have vitamin I, C every day. I, I 100% agree with you. Cannabis has made me a better person. I also Trump hope Trump is listening, although I think he only watches Fox News. I think uh, so. <laughs> but but um, I think that's as good a place to start to wrap up as any. Uh, how can our audience help you? Um, are you hiring for anything? Uh, you know, how can we help? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, um, well, uh, I guess the first thing for anybody is, is, is get to understand what we do. So our website is Lexaria bioscience.com um, that's a great place to start and you can learn all about us contact us and and learn about the science we have a ton of information there um, we we've done a poor job of getting products into distribution we're trying to fix that this year so if you know you can help us a lot by if you're in if you're in a dispensary or or a, a, a retail location ask the people there to start bringing in our products that would be a huge, a huge benefit mm. for us. Mm. But I think, yep. you know, come to the website, learn about what we do, and then see how there might be a fit. Uh, we are hiring from time to time, so we're always collecting resumes. Um, and, yeah, I mean, right now our big focus for 2018 is the continued commercialization of the tech through the cannabis industry simultaneous with a number of formal studies underway in different areas around the world for nicotine we're really pushing the nicotine um, application this year because let's face it um, despite it's a big what, business it's a big, well, it's a big business yeah. and, and despite yeah. what people like Jeff Sessions would say nobody's dying mm. from smoking pot mm. but six million people are dying from smoking cigarettes yeah yeah and we can change that and that is something we are really working towards so uh, nicotine absorption uh, is a big deal for us. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, Chris, this was an awesome interview. Thank you so much for joining us. You are so authentic. A lot of people come on here, especially of reputable companies that are guarded and don't want to answer questions, and I, I very much appreciate that. I understand you used to have a little segment on the radio back in the day, and it certainly showed. You were a, you were a great guest, so thanks again. Uh, I totally appreciate that. It's a very nice compliment. Thank you for having me. Happy Happy to do it. Yeah, thanks again. And thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time.